Welcome everyone to another episode of Kiwi Talks. My guest today is a game composer and sound designer with over 20 plus years of experience and worked on IP such as Dragon Ball Z, Sonic the Hedgehog and more. It's been a long time coming, about two years to talk to this man. It is the one and only Yanis Brown. How are you doing? Hey Reese, how are you going? Uh, good to finally meet you. It's been a long time coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think I've had so much email correspondence with one person, but hey, it's good. <laughs> I feel like we're best busy. buddies. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're doing all right and the music is still going, going yes, on. Still writing music. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. One interesting thing that um that I found out was that because you studied at SAE, right? Audio engineering. I did. No. I, I studied at uh, Sydney in the Sydney campus um, back in what was it now? Two thousand and one, I think it was. Oh yeah, yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, two thousand one, two thousand three. Sorry, two thousand three. Ah, I studied in 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 Auckland at the two thousand seven one. So I was like, ah, oh, okay. Thought that was interesting. SAE brothers then. Hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, so. Um, so, was it always your intention to become a sound designer and composer? Like, how did that journey start? Um, I would say that we have to go back to my childhood. Like that, that's kind of where everything started. You know, when I was four, uh, you know, we were living overseas, and uh, one of my parents' friends actually bought me a little keyboard, a little one and a half octave keyboard. So, um, I remember that we were in the living room and my parents used to watch this TV show and it had a theme song. And here I am four year old with a keyboard sitting behind the couch, cubby house. And I started playing the notes from the melody by ear without any prior training. So my parents threw me into music lessons later in life, not, not back then. And uh, I, st I started getting lazy with um, practicing, you know, after about nine or 10 years of lessons and I started making stuff up. Um, my, my music teacher at the time was great. She actually encouraged me and said, keep doing that. That's improvisation. And that's really how I got into, into composing was I started, you know, I dropped out of the music lessons and did more of the improvisation than it became composing. Um, but it wasn't until I'd say the late eighties, early nineties, when I got into the demo scene and kind of like working with Amigas and, uh, mod trackers and. Uh, I don't know if you know about those things, but yeah, um, yeah so samplers and computer-based stuff. That That's kind of where I really started doing most of the composing, um, you know, working with samples and stuff like that. So from there, I managed to you know, join a demo crew and release some music discs and some demos and stuff like that. Uh, those guys actually went into different companies and, um, you know, later in life, uh, they reached out to me and said, hey, we, we know you're a good composer. You know the technical format and how to work with, um, you know, make, make a piece of music sound really good with a lot of tight technical restrictions. And that's that's how I got into composing for games was like those guys reached out to me and knew what I could do. Yeah, you speak of technical restrictions. There's a lot of technical restrictions with, with handhelds or handhelds back in the day, right? Like Game Boy Advance and stuff where you had to... Oh, yeah. <laughs> where you're basically working with such a small amount of space to compose stuff. Like, how did you, how did you learn all that stuff and, and, and learn how to translate, translate that really well? 
Oh, well, working on the Commodore Amiga in, uh, I think it was Pro Tracker, Scream Tracker, uh, you could edit loops. And we were basically editing really tiny loops because the, the Amiga had one meg of memory or something like that, two meg if you had an extra chip. But really, it was like creating really tight loops uh, at the end of samples to kind of, you know, fake. Um, we used to program the uh, attenuation of or the, the ADSR envelope mm. um, by looping the end piece and then having manual commands to fade those out. So that's kind of how I got into it was like learning how to loop the ends of things and looping like basically chip samples. Um, so as I got into composing, I already had those skills and that also carried on into sound design. It's like all the same skills. Uh huh. Cause one of my favorite soundtracks, uh, bite you is the the legacy of goku 2 and boo's fury because you translated effectively music from the show but you had your original stuff in there as well um what was the what was the genesis of that like how did that all come about can you even remember how i got the contract how i how i got in touch with him yeah yeah uh well one of the two guys that i knew that was working in the company, he was one of them, Jeff, Jeffrey Lim. Uh, he wrote Impulse Tracker. So he reached out to me, um, being an Adelaide boy as well, and said, hey, I know you can write well with my my uh, engine. We need someone to to do some music. Would you like to submit a demo? You know, I'm, there's no nepotism here. It's just go through the proper means, submit demos with everybody else. And I got the gig. Um, I, wrote, I wrote something, I can't remember what piece of music it was. I don't think it was the main theme at the time. I think it was more like they wanted me to simulate something from one of the earlier games. And so I did that and they were like, okay, that's pretty cool. Um, and then I think the next piece was actually the theme song. So uh, I had the had the piece of music and just you know listened to Dragon Ball Z for a month, <laughs> nonstop, nothing else, just Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball Z, watching all the shows, just learning about it, getting that into my into my soul, into my mind by you know just thinking about it. Did you have any interaction with Funimation or Bruce Falconer did, at all? None. No, no none. Um, no, I, I did not have any uh, interaction with them at all. Wow. I did get given the the soundtracks to to listen to though, so I had access to the the material. So you basically had to like listen to it, learn everything from ear, work out mm. everything, and then somehow translate it into a, a very, very small format and work out what samples were going to work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah, I imagine that, that taking a long time. Uh, it's, you know, the, actually writing the music for that game, we wrote over an hour of music. I did that in a month. A month? Um, wow. A month. Yeah, about a month. Uh, full time. Um, but actually trans translating stuff by ears, that's 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 my roots. That's that's my four-year-old self, uh, listening to something and then recreating it by ear. And that's actually how I got quite a lot of work uh, in the industry was, hey, we need a conversion. We need this done. Um, sure, I, I can help you translate that. But just a lot of like analyzing the music, finding idiosyncrasies, hearing hearing the the tone and the texture, the timbre of the the instruments, and then you know building a sample set that that kind of covers 
all of the different instruments and all the different kind of sounds there are. And, you know, you can hear something and go, well, I don't quite have that. I don't have enough room to fit that into the, into the ROM, but I could use this instead in this way. And that, that would suit that thing. So there was kind of like a lot of compromise um, building the sample set, but it, it took some time to build the sample set. And we kind of did it song by song as well. So, you know, most of the instruments through through all the music do have um, a style and a genre and, you know, specific, specific, um, a specific sound. So, you know, we could, we could analyze that and then kind of pick out what we needed to create the uh, internal bank from. Mm. So was there a lot of discussion internally about what tracks to use and or was it completely up to you? Could you decide whatever tracks you wanted to use from the show and then when to use original pieces? Or was there a lot of discussion um, with, what's his name? Paul Carmody, is it? Paul Carmody, yeah. Yeah. He was, he was, yeah, I actually had a lot of interaction with Paul. He was directing me and, and he was kind of picking the music. They were, well, I don't know if he picked the music, but the team picked the music and figured out what they were going to do. And then they said, we want to use this piece of music. We want to use this thing for this area. And then I'd have a listen to it and go, yeah, I can, I can, I can do that. Do you remember a specific piece that, that was, that you really enjoyed or one that was challenging or. So, and the theme song was just, when I, when I did that, I was, I shocked myself. I was like, that actually sounds pretty good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that was, um, that, that feedback really got me excited into the project because it's like I can do something and I can make it sound good I wonder what I can do with the rest of the music and that's how we got kind of got started that that kind of set the tone for the whole thing particularly when it comes to guitars because that stuff's very hard to translate to like say the, the the chip format that's used with the Game Boy Advance right so like I mean I mean is it a guitar that you used or was it like a heavily modulated synth of some kind to they emulate were, they a were guitar? guitars yeah. Oh, was it they guitar, guitar sample? sample? Definitely, yeah, definitely guitar samples. I don't remember where they came from or how I got them, but so we actually had some um, strumming samples, uh, the chugging samples, and then we had uh, just looping uh, guitar, kind of electric guitar tones, and it was a combination of putting those two together uh, in 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 the in the tracker format. Wow. So, how would you decide when to keep? tracks from the show pretty much the same and then when to when to go off and uh build on it more well that that was pretty simple the uh the team let me know we want to kind of translate this into into um straight from the from the show and then other pieces they'd say well we want this particular area to sound kind of a little bit like the show or we want it to sound like the show but please go ahead and do something unique um, you know, those pieces came a lot later, like weeks later, after I had already already started uh, translating the music from the from the show. So the the style and the sound and the instruments were already there. And that's actually the other part of my background is um, when I was when I was going growing up in the demo scene, I was entering a lot of competitions. They they used to call them um, one hour competitions or weekly competitions, and we would be provided a sample pack. And then you take the sample pack and then try and work something with it, and that's actually how I learned how to how to track as well. Take other people's uh, mod tracks, wipe out the, the the music data from it, and then try and use their their instruments to build a piece of music. Um, so working with, you know, a, a 
set of sounds or set of instruments was something I always had a skill in. Oh, really? And I suppose it's gotten easier over time. You've gotten faster at doing it. Yeah. I use it quite a lot, you know, use it in sound design, use it in music. Um, I think it was some of the work I did for um, Cartoon Network. I did some of those, those the same way. Um, yeah, it's going back a lot of years. I can't remember exactly which, which <laughs> projects I did that on. I actually got asked a fair bit to, to kind of do that uh, translation work. Right. So was there a lot of back and forth on those games? Like you'd submit a piece or they, what they give you, Hey, we, an idea of like, Hey, we want to this track to be translated and then you'd do it mm -hmm. and then they'd get you to correct it more. Or was it, or would you knock it out of the park often first time? You usually just knock it out of the park. I mean, when you're translating stuff, you're just really just doing it by ear. So as long as it sounds as good or, you know, as better than it is on the, on the piece of music on the, um, on the CD, but in the tracker format, the, the games format, that's that's the quality bar we're looking for. It's just like make it sound as good as that or better if you can with, with the format. Um, yeah, it was a tall order, but uh, we managed to pull it off. Yeah, because, I mean, I would think translating stuff that already exists would be harder than creating something from scratch. Because no, you have to make it sound like how people remember it or how they know it, as opposed to having a blank slate. I, I don't know about other people, how, how they how they work with their, their mind and their ears and their, their skills of composing or, or, or translation. But for me, at least, um, I've just always had a very analytical mind with music and be able to pick bits and pieces out of it and then just you know try and recreate those at least the the gist of what i'm hearing um and that's that's really what you can do with with the restrictions you've got is try and stretch everything so that it, it sounds like what you're what you're translating mm. and, you know there's a lot of like back and forth listening playing it on here going okay i'm up to this point i'm up to this point what else do i need to do here do i need to do this do i need to like um, modulate something or pitch pitch something or use a different instrument in a different way to to create an effect that's possibly like you know baked into a a synth that's you know got some sort of texture do i do i use like uh, arpeggios or something to simulate a synth twinkle or you know those kind of textures and you said it took you a whole month to like do the whole score for legacy of goku 2 pretty much about four weeks wow and so just translating everything and then working out sounds. And then did you do um, some of the sound design or the implementation of where it was being put in the game as well? Not, not the implementation. That was the, that was Jeff's job, I think, um, or it could be one of the other programmers, but definitely. Um, yeah, definitely coming up. Sorry, I've had three hours sleep. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Hey, Hey, these things happen. It's all right. Um, but so, after the, after it was released, because one of the things is there's been so many Dragon Ball Z games, and I think mm. yours is the only one where you implement it from the American score. I think in terms of like other other Dragon Ball Z games either have an original score or they take the music from the Japanese games, but you actually did yours from the American the American version um, of the music. That's why I, I'm surprised Funimation or 
Bruce Falconer didn't get in contact with you. Did they get in contact with you after you did it? I don't know, but the no, they didn't get in contact with me afterwards. They may have had conversations with with um, Webfoot. I I don't know about that, but um, I was just kind of brought in, and then they provided me with uh, with the music. Yeah. So, what type of notes would you get? Were they very thorough, or was it just like we want it like this? Hey, we need a piece of music, and it's this one. Can you can you make this one for us? And I'd be like, let me give that a try. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. there was a lot of talking with um, with Jeff because we we had to figure out how to how to um, how to figure out how to get the you know there's a lot of pieces of music so how how do you manage all of those samples on on the ROM how do you how do you how do you do your memory management so I had a lot of technical discussions with him we came up with different techniques of how to do that. Um, you know, being being the guy who wrote the the play the playback engine, the composing engine, he kind of knew exactly what to do. So, the the conversations between us were very simple, like very easy to to follow through on. Because I'd say we could do this, and he'd go and try it, and then that that works. Okay, let's let's uh let's go with that then. Mm. Everything that you translated, did it end up in the game, or was there a lot of stuff on the cutting room floor? Good question. Uh... From memory, no, I think everything that we did was specific and we did not have anything left over. Wow. It was all all done, all put in. Have you seen online that people have done remixes of your of your Dragon Ball Z stuff? I did. I saw one guy who had done the, 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 the theme song and was like blown away. It's like the fans are amazing. Um, that was actually one of the reasons why I tried so hard to do this because, you know, having the pressure of, this is a popular show. There's a ton of kids out there who love this thing and they're going to be really upset if I screw this up. So, you know, trying to, trying to make sure that, you know, making the fans happy, that was always like the top of my, top of my mind when I was writing stuff is it has to sound good. It has to sound like the show. Yeah. That's why I'm surprised you're able to bang it out in a month because there's so much intricate and so many nuances in terms of the details of every track i find that's why it's i just think it's amazing that you were able to do it in a month and was that the same with booze fury as well you banged that out in a month as well no i don't remember how long that took that one was a smaller game i believe in terms of music i actually never calculated how much music we wrote for that one um but yeah it was very similar i'd get pieces of music that the the team would say we want this and then i would i would translate it as well hmm hmm and so like say with um like the perfect cell theme the do 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 like can you remember the the process and how you how you made that or did you just just listen to the cd and translate it and boom bombs your uncle that's it i mean you know there's a lot of listening to the theme and you know getting that into your head so you kind of know where the the, the song is going and you can kind of hear what's coming up next and then you can plan uh, what needs to be done, um, you know, in your mind, what what you need to consider when you're writing. But it was really just like ear, mind, analyze it, listen to the individual bits, and then try and recreate those one by one, and then you know build build a section, and then listen to it together, and then move on to the next section. And what sometimes I'd actually go through the whole song and lay down one track. It really depended on the song what what I needed to do. Some songs had had changes, and they might have to just do it in sections. And other ones, 
you know, they had a melody that kind of followed through the whole song and I could I could just lay that down first and then go back over and do the other bits. But would you do one song at a time? Like say oh, you yeah, do the yeah. Sal theme and then Vegeta's theme and so one song at a oh, time. Yeah. yeah, you don't want to... <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> that, that's that would... what I was thinking. I'm like, otherwise you'd forget what you're working on. Yeah. Exactly. No, just con heavy concentration and just one song. Right, right. Okay. Because like some people might... You know, I would think if it was me and, you know, you're, you're translating something and maybe getting a bit frustrated with it, you might move on to something else. But obviously that's not the case with you. You're just like, no, yeah. No. So you have like tunnel vision almost. Yeah, I had extreme tunnel vision. Um, yeah. So the, the story I brought up before of being a, a programmer, that had relevance because I actually took four weeks off my paid contract to do this tiny game that was like a fraction of what I was earning. And that was more interesting to me. So that's that's why I did it. It was like, I want to do something that's fun. This is this is a great experience. I'm working with people I like. Mm. Uh, hell yeah. So do you prefer music or sound design or programming? What's what's your, out of all three of those, like what would be the biggest passion? My core passion is music. Okay. I mean, that's how I got started. Mm. Uh, sound design is something I... I I didn't really fall into. I kind of decided to do it. Um, I didn't really see myself as as like a you know triple A composer that's going to make a living off of the music that in that way. And you know, I also had interest in in sound design as well. So I actually went to a GDC. Um, was it back in two thousand and three? Uh, actually, when I was relocating back to Australia from from the UK, and. Uh, that's that's kind of how I fell into sound design. I actually met a sound designer from LucasArts, I think it was, and I was like, "What do you do?" And he was like, "I'm a sound designer." I'm like, "What's that?" And he said, "This is what it is." And I could do that. That sounds fun. Um, and so you know, when I started um, getting little game contracts, they would often ask, you know, one man band, "Can you do the music and can you do the sound design?" Uh, the very very first game project was a student project that i did sound design on i had no sample libraries i had a little mini disc recorder and i had to figure out how to make explosions and other sounds and um i experimented and figured it out and then that was probably the hardest sound design i had ever done because you're just starting with nothing and trying to create something out of it but once you did the first one you know after that you learn the skills and a lot of the skills in composing are very very similar to um you know they you can reuse them in sound design there's you know frequency um, mixing, um, layers, uh, editing. It's really, you're, you're making a piece of sound design, which is melodic, which is a piece of music, big, big, long piece of sound design, or you're making a small piece of sound design. They're, to me, they're the same. Hmm. So you know how sometimes music and sound design can blur, like oh, it's, yeah. there's a fine line. Uh, is that something you often try to do or is it something that just happens organically? It really depends on the project. Um, a lot of the music, I guess, in and, and sound design in Trove was was written to be in the same key. Um, that, that was a decision we made was to, to keep everything in the same key. So, you know, sound design, uh, UI sounds, um, you know, level ups and stuff like that would all have melodic elements that fit with the score. Um, you know, games like Rift, we had a desert area and we decided to, well, I decided to take uh, wind instruments like flutes and stuff like that out of, this, out of the soundtrack, not put them into the soundtrack um, and then actually have them spatially 
randomize around you like wind wisps. Um, so, you know, we, we use music creatively in sound design. We use sound design creatively in music. And, you know, sometimes we blend the two together and they become kind of meshed. It really just depends on the project. Yeah. I mean, I have seen your resume and sometimes you're listed as like doing music and sound design. But then in my experience from talking to a lot of composers, sometimes they may have done the sound design, but you might have composed like one or two tracks or something, but you're not included as the composer, even though you did do some composing. But you you spoke of LucasArts before and you walked, worked on a Star Wars game, didn't you? But like, I can't, did you do just the sound design or did you do a little bit of the composing as well? Do you uh, remember? One was for NG Moko, I believe. Um, yeah, it was like the Imperial Academy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they, they approached me and said, we have a Star Wars, I've been working on their other games at the time, and they said, we have a Star Wars game. And I'm like, that's awesome, I want to work on that. Uh, they So they presented me with, um, you know, we want we want you to write a piece of music, and it has to be based on the Imperial March, but not the Imperial March. We want something that sounds similar to it. Um, and then the sound design part of it, they actually handed me uh, uh, Lucasfilm assets, like bits and pieces of... Oh, that's um, awesome. So I got to I got to play with those and then you know use them or recreate them or manipulate them to create blaster sounds and weapon sounds. That's cool. But you did do the theme. The I don't want to say well it, it's based on the Imperial March, but it's not the Imperial March. It same, starts the off the thing. same and then it, it it goes off, right? Yeah. It's, yes. Yeah. And is that how you intended to write it, or was that just something you sat down and? Yep, you figure out the idiosyncrasies of the piece of music and then you use those and then you, you customize it and uh, improvise. Mm. So how do you compose? Do you just wait to get an idea? Do you just jam on the keys? Like what? What's your process? Everything. How, everything. everything and everything. You have no template. And... It's just whatever nope. inspires you. Yep. Yeah. Keep an open mind. Um, no, ga games like Dragon Ball Z, you know, you've got... You've got uh, you've got a set of music that you have to kind of fit within the theme. Mm. Uh, so that's one, one style. So you, you kind of can work with that. It gives you a really good inspiration on what you need to do. Going to Trove, um, that I had to approach from a different, different perspective. That was actually all written, me improvising on a keyboard. Um, I needed a way to manage a project uh, with the reduced staff at the time, we were we were having some problems at, uh, in the company, and I needed to figure out a way to write this music in a way that was easy for me to do. And you know, instead of st starting out with a, a door and you know writing things note by note, I decided the best way to do this would be to improvise. So I sat there and jammed, you know, a couple of hours and then came up with the main melody. And then I thought, well, I can use the main melody riff as something throughout the whole whole game. And then, you know, as we developed the game and we kind of came up with the different different biomes, I thought, you know, I could just take this melody and, and make the style different and change the instruments and improvise over the top. And that's how I wrote pretty much the whole soundtrack was was doing it that way. Mm. So yeah, different projects, different different ways of approaching music. Um, I think Rift, the uh, Prophecy of Anket, the final download that I worked on, that was the same way as well. Um, let's try and improvise, uh, you know, knowing knowing how the pieces of music have been put together and then, you know, directing Enon on, on writing 
uh, all that stuff. I had a very clear understanding of what I was doing. So I was able to jump in and improvise and create those tracks the same way. Mm. Yeah, how obviously with composing, you have a strict deadline that you have to meet, right? Mm -hmm. As a creative person, do you find creative ways to cut corners to save time without impacting the quality of what you're working on? That was exactly what I was talking about right there, is that is a way of cutting a corner. For me to improvise the music and play, I'm getting the ideas out very quickly. I'm writing the music that way. I am designing, you know, mixing it that way. Whereas when, you know, you go through a different different style of um, putting together a piece of music where you're starting with a bass track and then you're creating the drums and you're trying to think of a melody, and there's a lot more thought. You have to do it bit by bit. Um, you know, you're entering notes on a keyboard, not getting everything out at once. So you have to, you know, in your mind, you listen to what you're writing and then you go, I, I can do this with it. And it's kind of a bit of improvisation while you're writing. And that's kind of how I figure out what I'm going to write. Um, you know, and then getting feedback from the team. You know, what does this sound like? What do you think? I think it sounds pretty good. And they're like, no, it sounds like crap. Uh, we want something different. And I'm like, okay, I'll go do something different. How's this sound? And they're like, that sounds better. <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of discussion between the team, you know, what, what, they're actually looking for what I think that they're looking for. Yeah. So if we were to like have a scale, right, of sound design and music in terms of spontaneity and in terms of being analytical in terms of your approach, where do you think you'd sit within that scale? I mean, are you... Everywhere. <laughs> Everywhere. Okay. Everywhere. Yep. Um, that's, that's the thing. When you work in this industry, you can be given anything. So if you're flexible, if you're able to like take that on, you don't have a fixed mindset, you can, you can react very quickly to things. You can, you can work very, very easily with teams that work different ways. Hmm. Do you, do you get royalties for your music? No, those ones are uh, complete by, well, they're owned, you know, the, the music's owned by Funimation. So I can't, I can't get royalties off that. Yeah. Yeah. But what about your other stuff? Like stuff that's like not from a big IP like Star Wars or Dragon Ball Z? You know, all the smaller ones, there was never really any real royalties out of them because they're, they're kind of small. The only one that I've really, and I haven't received any royalties from it was Trove. And that was, um, I think we had to register with BMI or something like that um, and, and submit a, a, a cue sheet or something like that. So if... If Trove streams on on Netflix, uh, not Netflix, Spotify, uh, not Spotify, uh, Twitch, oh, yeah, Twitch, yep, yep. So if it's used on Twitch, then then I would get some royalties if if there was any royalties generated. But you know, I haven't seen since, so it's not okay. Not well, generated. I'll have to get people to stream it on <laughs> Twitch so you can get some money. Go to Twitch and listen to Trove. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's interesting because like some composers, they do get royalties, some don't. And like, I seem to get different answers. So it's, it's just interesting to see who gets royalties. Cause obviously if you were getting royalties and that's a huge weight off your shoulders, cause at least you have like passive income coming through. Right. Cause you must finish a project sometimes and be like, crap. Now what must be exciting and cause a bit of anxiety at the same time. Cause you don't know what your next project's going to be. Uh, yes and no. Um, you know, the companies I've worked with uh, as a permanent employee, you know, I've always been open with them. I, I do this this kind of stuff on the side and, you know, they've been good with it. I haven't actually really done too much of that lately anyways. Um, I'm just too busy. But yeah. um, back, you know, 
seven, eight years ago. That's that's what I was doing. Um, and and you know, doing that kind of stuff allows you to not have to worry about that. So you're not stressing about what's coming next. You know, I'm I'm doing it because I love it. That's that's why I'm doing it. I'm I've got a fixed income. I don't have to worry about that stuff. So this is my passion. That's what I'm doing. I'm a sound designer here. I'm a composer here. Mm. Uh, if if the opportunity if the opportunity came up to work on a on a triple eight project, you would you would take it. I'm sure. Like say if someone uh, contacted you, hey, we want you to do the music for Assassin's Creed or Call of Duty or something. You know. You know I have imposter syndrome. <laughs> hey, uh, to be honest, a lot of composers do. This is a common thing I've noticed as composers having imposter syndrome. So, uh, yeah, you're definitely not alone in that. I I think I could tackle it. Um, my, I, th I think my main weakness in that area is, so I do everything by ear and I've taken music lessons. I've, I've played instruments for you know 10 years and stuff like that, but I wouldn't say that my musical knowledge, uh, the ability to speak musically with people, I've got, you know, basic skills, you know, I can talk about chords and chord progressions and timing and stuff like that, but really getting down to the nitty and gritty, if you're talking with an audio director has composition background, that, that might be a bit difficult. That might be intimidating. Um, but definitely creating the tone and the textures and the music that, that, that's something that just is natural. Like, so it's just getting over that mental hurdle of, I don't think I can do it, but I probably could do it. So. Oh, you could do it. I think you underestimate yourself. Like it's, that's true. Yeah. yeah I've done yeah. that a lot. I mean, even if you go through your resume, you've done a lot of stuff. Like I would be yeah, none even, the wiser, you know, and even the Dragon Ball Z stuff. Yeah. It's like, it's exactly like that. I, if I, had approached that with this mental attitude of, wow, that's in, how, how am I going to possibly do that? You know, you just do it. And it's like, I just did that. Okay. That wasn't that hard. That wasn't as hard as I thought it was. So you, you have to like learn along the way that it's just your mind. That's kind of like blocking you and telling you you can't do things, but really you can, you just have to try them. And you know, if you fail, you fail. If you don't fail, you don't fail. Mm. Do you speak to other creative people in the industry about this? Like, do, like other composers or anything? Yeah. Not not um, on a regular basis, but yeah, there's you know talking about uh, people talking about composer syndrome, uh, not composer syndrome, imposter syndrome, uh, imposter syndrome. Yep. Um, yeah, there's definitely big discussions about that, and there's a lot of people who suffer from imposter syndrome. I think everyone does uh, to some point. So has that gotten better or worse the longer you've been in the industry? I think it actually gets worse as you get better. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's what I was wondering because pressure, expectations. Yeah, you you that's true. It's like people expect you to kind of like, well, here's this thing. Now we want you to do something better than that. And I'm like, okay. Um, but you know, also having done so many different projects and stuff, you you know, when you're young, you've got this you know roaring ambition. And it's like you don't really think about that stuff. And when you're older, you kind of reflect back on it and go, you know. How am I going to do that again? How did I possibly even do that back then? <laughs> you know, you listen. I listen to a lot of my old music, and I'm like, I don't really understand how I got to that point. Um, you know, you're in the zone, and you're just listening, and then you just channel music, and then that's kind of how I feel like I compose. I just kind of take it from here and put it into someone else's ears. Do you listen to some of your old stuff and be like, I don't even remember composing this. When did I even do this? I don't even remember this melody at all like come yeah, some of the more obscure games um that i don't have any copies of uh, the music at, at, at all and then someone posts something and, and i see my name on the credit I'm like did i write that piece of music? it sounds like 
Yeah, I, I do have that um, occasionally. It's a weird feeling to, you know, so I kind of look, looking at a piece of art going, did I draw that? You know, you kind of know, but with music, it's your, your skill set changes over time. You're not, you're not, it's not easy to see the whole picture, I guess. Um, you have to listen through the whole song before you can, before you can get an understanding if you've done that. So do you have like a lot of the old stems from your work or do you have to kind of just hand it over to the the studio once you're done? You're like here and then that's it? Or like in your vault right now, would you have a lot of your old work if you wanted to access it? Uh, I've got backups of some of the stuff, but you know, a lot. it's like some of the stuff is really old and you know, some of it's like you have to get rid of it off your hard drive. So I'm like gone. Um, but I typically did try and hang on to things because I've had people reach out from the companies before and say, you, do you have a copy of this? And I'm like, actually, I do. Here you go. Oh, wow. So do you, I suppose what you store, you don't store it on like heaps and heaps of hard drives, do you? Like in a stack of external hard drives. No, <laughs> no, no. no, yeah, because that would be a lot considering how much music you've done. Yeah. Probably one hard drive. You know, hard drives are pretty big these days. <laughs> They are, they are. They can hold a lot of space. And particularly with, I suppose, a lot of your handheld stuff, like the, the early mm -hmm. stuff. How hard is it for you to stay up with technology and what's happening? Because it's obviously evolving very fast, even from like how it's utilized for music, right? I mean, mm -hmm. the way you compose for, say, mobile games is very different to how you used to do it back in the day for like Game Boy Advance and DS and even the mm -hmm. PSP. Mm -hmm. So... Back in the day, I'd say it's more complex back in the day, um, just because you know stream formats weren't available for mobile devices like that. I mean, you know, a mobile device right now is really a massive computer back then, but you know, back then your your handheld devices didn't have that kind of processing power, so you had to do a lot of like um, you know data and then samples and put it together inside the machine, and that's that's how they approached. Uh, the Game Boy Advance was a lot like that, you know, a lot of uh, MIDI DLS kind of um, structures, uh, whereas the earlier machines would be actually just uh, chip-based, um, like the, the Game Boy Color and stuff. They were actually running chip. Well, they did actually have some noise and it's some samples like, as well. Almost like code, isn't it? Like a programming code. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's programming the chipset. Yeah. But I didn't have to program the chipset. It was just, you know, um, small, very small samples, or like, yeah, yeah, because yeah. Uh, that seems like it would be quite monotonous in terms of the implementation, particularly with the older stuff, right? Because it was all based on numbers or code as opposed to yeah, actual I, composing. I don't know how those guys would have done it back then, but you know, you're writing the code and then you have to press play and listen to it all the way through to that bit, and then you go, oh no, I need to make this change here, take notes and go back to it, you know, unless you've got someone who can code and say, I want to jump to this point in the song, maybe you could do that. But yeah, it's back then it was a lot more difficult. These days, um, mostly streaming formats. Um, you know, with generative music though, that's that's pos possibly where um, we're coming back into, you know, keeping samples, uh, instrument samples in, in, in memory and then using uh, data to drive those samples and create music on the fly. Mm. I'd say that's kind of a similar thing. But like, say with limitations back in the day, wouldn't that create more exploration in terms of like the creative nature of it? Because 
you've you've got a lot of restrictions, so therefore you have to think more creatively. Yes. Because now you don't have any restrictions at all, right? I mean, if you want to compose something, you can compose it pretty much. You think about it, you compose it, and that's it. Whereas back in the day, that was not the case. So, yeah, back back then you had to think very carefully about how you were going to do it. You had to you had to create everything from scratch, and you had to not only just make the music, but you had to make it work with the technology. So you had to work with the memory budgets, you had to work with CPU budgets, you had to work with loading budgets, you had to work with the programmers to make sure it all worked properly. Um, yeah, the technical constraints back then, you know, they created a box, but I think when you're inside a box and you know what your boundaries are, you can kind of push those boundaries when you've, you don't have any boundaries at all. You're kind of like, you can do anything. So I found that when when I have really strict boundaries that my creative processes are, are engaged and I'm able to you know, find creative ways of getting around those boundaries. Um, and that that's where your kind of growth comes from. Mm. I mean, the thing is with a lot of the music that you've done is you've worked in a lot of different genres in terms of the different musical palettes that you've used in various games. Like, you know how there's some composers that have a specific sound, right? Like, say, Mick Gordon, right? He has a very unique sound that's unique to him, um, whereas you can kind of go everywhere musically, it seems. Is that is that something that comes natural to you? Or, like, if someone's like, hey, we want you to do a soundtrack uh, that sounds Irish, you know, or a soundtrack that sounds, I don't know, Indian or something, would you be able to do it quite easily or... Are you like, oh crap, okay, and then you have to go and do a whole bunch of research? Yeah, well, there's definitely some research. So every every game that I work on that I have some sort of creative direction from, you know, I go and listen to reference material. I ask for a lot of reference material. Um, and then, you know, you listen to it and you kind of seep it into your body, seep it into your mind, and, you know, then you you base your creative process around that, that input. Hmm. Hmm. Simple as that, right? <laughs> yeah. Is there a particular, if you had the chance to work on one IP, what would it be? Like any gaming IP, what would it be? There must be one. There must be one. I don't know. Specific IP. Oh. Okay. Zelda. I would love to work on a Zelda game. So many composers I speak to say Zelda. There's something about Zelda. Yeah. It's just the adventure, the the memories, the music, the sound design, the creatures, the worlds, the, the lore, just uh, that stuff just sucks you in. Mm. So as a, as a composer and a sound designer, can you separate yourself? Like if you're playing a game, can you separate yourself from that stuff? Or do you find yourself critiquing the music or sound design? Or you're even thinking, how do they do that? Or how do they do this? Or are you just totally immersed and you totally forget about that stuff? It, it really depends. Like, you know, um, the the professional in you comes out and starts analyzing stuff. And then sometimes you just like, you know, don't do that. I want to just enjoy the game and see how it washes over me and makes me feel. Um, so you can get into definitely like, you know, analytical modes where you're figuring out how, how you know, when you're, especially when you're learning how to sound design or compose, you're listening to a lot of stuff like, how do those guys do that? How did, how did they... How did they make those sounds? How did they put that stuff together? What, what were their inspirations? What's, what did they record to make that? Uh, or, you know, like, how did they process the guitars in this? Or how do they, they mix the drums? Or how do they 
put the track together and make it sound so you know beefy or you know um, light and um, uh, you know, whatever it is. Um, when you're learning, you tend to do that a lot more. And then you know when you're a bit more experienced, you still kind of do that to a point because you're still in that mode. But you, know, you also have to step back from it and just enjoy it for what it is to. You can't always be in, in, in work mode. That's just not fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. hey, some people are workaholics like that. So that's why I thought I'd ask. But um, like, have you ever composed, like say with the Dragon Ball Z stuff, right? Have you composed for a specific thing or a specific part of the game? And then when it's implemented, it's implemented in a completely different part? Like say, for example, you compose Piccolo's theme, right? And then they took it and they use it in, somewhere else that you weren't expecting not that they did that but i'm just saying hypothetically not so much no we're usually fairly specific on what we're doing because mm. mm. the thing is with like a lot of game music is right you're not writing one piece you have to write almost multiple versions of it right because obviously the way it's implemented you could do various versions of the same track yes so Rift is a very good example of that. Working working with Enon Zur, uh, we we did approach the music like that, um, where we would figure out how to create something that had you know a linear flow to it, but then also be able to break that stuff down and then remix it in the game. Uh, so you know a lot of the later later stuff in in that that project was we actually change directions from the early music where we had uh, little sections that we would stitch together and you know kind of mix the tracks um, to provide some variation to actually breaking down stems and then recombining everything in real time to create um, a lot more content because people were like we, we love this music but we want more of it and I'm like we don't have a budget for more of it so how are we going to do this and you know figuring out how to do that was this is a good way to do it we can we can create the material and then we can I, I can put it back together again in the game and, and uh, mix it differently or for example like in in um, different areas I would take the same piece of music for the for the zone and then we'd have different little points of interest that you know I'd ask the designers what would you give I, I give you three emotions um, intensely aggressive um, mystical and you know uh, you know uh, peaceful or something and they would label these areas for me and then I would take the pieces of music and then mix them and 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 you know take tracks out or add tracks in and build the music back in the game that way uh yeah sounds insanely complex it can be yeah <laughs> like I said this this industry there's no fixed way of doing anything yeah, yeah, yeah. I just have to work uh you know not only the the creation of the actual linear assets, but also the implementation is a creative process, and you just have to figure it out as you go. Um, and you know, sometimes things change and they they produce better results. Hmm. Do you ever get writer's block? Do you have any problem with oh, that? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh You're yeah. just like, oh my gosh, nothing's coming. Yep. What's the what's the well, longest period of writer's block that you've had? maybe four days three four days five oh, that's, days that's not too bad but i suppose the longer you go with writer's block the more anxiety it would cause i 
don't like to dwell on things too long. So I I do, you know, I go for walks or actually showering. <laughs> uh, when oh. you're showering, that, that white noise, just tuning off, that's, I think when you're stressed, um, that's when you get a lot of rise block or, you know, you're just, you're just too worried about something. And it's kind of like sleeping. If you sit there and going, I can't sleep, I can't sleep, I can't sleep, I need to sleep. I need, you're not going to sleep. Mm. It's the same with music. I, I need to compose it. I need to get something out. I need to figure it out. You're not going to be able to do it. You're just creating a lot of anxiety and stress in your head. So you have to go do something else. Take it, remove yourself from the situation. Um, go, go look after yourself. Go, go back in nature. Go walk. Go cook. Go, you know, sleep. Whatever it is, get yourself out of the environment that's blocking you and do something else that will unblock you. Mm. I suppose that would be a similar thing with ear fatigue, as well. Like obviously, if you're working in the same spot for too long, your ears will get tired. Uh, mm-hmm. are you aware of when you're getting ear fatigue and then you go out and do a walk or something? Because you know how sometimes musicians can be in the zone and you don't want to stop it because you don't want to lose that idea or the musical headspace yeah, that you're you in. Can, you can definitely push yourself a little bit too far sometimes and you can push yourself into that fatigue zone and you just have to be aware, I'm feeling fatigued, I really need to take a break or this is not going to be good. You know, You have to look after your health. And then you also have to like, your health comes first. So if you don't look after your health, how are you going to be able to finish the project? Mm. You can put the project first, but then your health suffers, the project's going to suffer. Well, also also in terms of mixing though, right? Like you can mix something, but if your ears are tired, then you might think it sounds awesome. Then you go away and come back and you're like, oh, this sounds terrible. Yeah, that's that's true. That's happened plenty of times. <laughs> can you remember of one specific scenario where you're just like, oh my God. Yeah, actually, it was uh, Atlas Reactor. Um, I, I remember just writing that and trying to mix that. That, that was a very—that's the first time I ever did complex drum music um, professionally. Um, so that was a lot of like trial and error, and you know, trying different mixing techniques and uh, trying, you know, figuring out how to how to make it sound um, impactful, like that that mixing that I did on it. And that did tire it. You know, it does tire you out. And then you know, you're right. When you when you get to that point, you're not really hearing things very clearly, and actually you detract from the music. So it's better to kind of once you get to that fatigue point, um, knowing that you're mixing something that isn't going to sound good is a good point to go. You know what? I need to stop and walk away. Hmm. Have you ever? Sometimes done... you do. Sometimes you do. Yeah. Have you done any co composing like with a second composer, or are you usually quite isolated? Not on a specific track, but on a project, yes. Yeah. But even in those cases, you might work on a set of tracks and they might work on a set, set of tracks, right? You won't be in the studio together. That's correct, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I worked with um, Scott Cairns, who's a really good mate of mine. Um, he, I brought him on board to do the music for, uh, what was that game? Gauntlet uh, DS, which actually not didn't get released, but there's a ROM out there. Um, the developers were nice enough to release it for the public because it didn't get released. Um, but that game... Both of us worked on on the music. Um, I was helping direct him, so we you know we had a lot of discussions about you know, this is the style, these are the instruments we want. We're going to use this sound library, uh, so we have the the uh, continu- continu- continuity of of um, the, uh, this, the aesthetic using the same same instrument libraries and such, and then oh, mixing okay. as well. Yeah, is that quite easy though? Like the back and forth. Well, yeah. I mean, we're working on different areas and, um, you know, we have 
power hour sessions and listen to the music and go, oh, we, we could you try doing something different here? We want more timpani or we want more um, taiko drums or, you know, we want more vocals over here or we want more, more pads or could you change this melody to sound a little bit more like this? And there's a lot of back and forth between us um, figuring out how to collaborate. Mm. That's so interesting. Is there any uh, composers that you really get inspired by? Oh, yeah, Miyazaki. Ah, yeah, his yeah. his music is his melodies, his idiosyncrasies are kind of just etched in my brain for some reason. I can, yeah. <laughs> he's a, he's a he's a a bar to to try and hit. Like just his creative process, his melodic, um, in, intuitive nature is just. Yeah. So you know, sometimes at like those GDC events, you know, the, the 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 gaming gaming events. Do you try and meet with other composers or people that you admire in the industry when you're at those events? If you can pick their brain. Um, not deliberately, but you do do tend to pump into people, and then you know you chat with them, and yeah, it's it's really cool. Like you know, that's how I actually bumped into uh, Enon. Um, way back in 2003, four, I think it was, um, bumped into him uh, hanging out with uh, another set of people that I knew. And that's how we got introduced. And didn't know I was going to work with him, you know, 10 years later or <laughs> whatever it was. But um, yeah, you do bump into people. And I think he had just done the Prince of Persia at the time, Sands of Time. Nice. So it was it was really interesting because I played that game and then I met the composer and I was like, oh, that's really cool. You know, I get to meet you. Mm. Um, uh, Chris Hillsbeck, um, long time old Commodore 64 Gianni sisters, mm. uh, Tarkin, you know, all those old Commodore, classic Commodore games. Um, didn't think I'd ever meet him, but bumped into him. They were good friends. Um, uh, uh, people from the demo scene, I'd never, you know, I'd kind of admire these composers who are like, you know, kind of top tier elite composers and then, you know, meeting them and they're just normal people and you become friends and colleagues in the industry. Uh, yeah, it's all, it's yeah. all very um, friendly. Something I'm quite interested in, because obviously you've, you lived in Australia, you've lived in the UK, you've lived in America. Do you have to get all your gear sent over to those countries every time you move? Or do you end up selling it and then just buying all the gear again when you move to another country? So I don't think I've had as much gear as I've had here. <laughs> um, and I'm actually about to move back to Australia. So all the stuff has to be packed up and shipped. So yeah, that is a process. And um, I haven't had to do that too much before. It's mainly just been, I need my computer. I need my motherboard. I'm going to leave my case behind. I'm going to bring my speakers. I'm going to bring my sound card. And that's pretty much it. Most Most of my career has been actually not in a studio. It's been... Besides working in uh, in house at Tryon, where I actually had a, a good studio, most of it's the handheld stuff. You don't really need a studio for it's just all on the headset um, and listening on the device. That's 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 the playback device. So you're not listening it to it in a um, you know home theater or something like that or a 5.1 surround system. That's that's where you need the, the studio for. But you know the earlier games, we didn't have access to that stuff, so it was all headphones and laptops. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, hey, um, I'll wrap up there. 
because I know you're a real, real busy man and you've got a lot of stuff to take care of. But um, thank you so much for taking time out. I know you're like crazy busy. As I said, it's been like two years for us to make this happen. But um, thank you for I'm everything you've done in the industry. Um, I wish you all the best and look forward to hearing more of your, your stuff in the future, I'm sure. Yeah. Thanks, mate. I appreciate you um, hanging on. That's all <laughs> right. That's right. Sometimes you just, I'm sorry if I've been nagging you so much for the last two years. No, I, I really admire your, your <laughs> persistence. Um, you know, this was meant to happen. It just needed to have a little bit of time for me to get my act together. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. But if um, anyone wants to keep up to date with what you're doing, where's the best place for them to do that? I need to be better at that. Um, possibly Twitter. Uh, my website got a blog as well, Um I'd say those two are in the main places that, that I would be posting updates. Cool. All right. Well, that is the show, everyone. Make sure you share, like, and subscribe. Support Yanis. Uh, stream his stuff on Twitch. Which game was it for again? That was Trove. Trove. Yeah. Stream yeah, Trove on Twitch. Know. Get him some of that good old royalty money. <laughs> yeah. All right, everyone. Uh, take care. Until next time, stay safe. <laughs>